announcements. Well, first off, I think it's just going to be a uh, kind of odds and ends pod, a bunch of miscellaneous stuff. I don't have any real overarching theme this week. I did uh, write a post for Substack, and I'll talk about that in a little bit, but it's kind of Bitcoin specific. And I know some of you listen for that reason, but I'll get into it in a bit. But one thing is, this is going to be the last Real Man Wood podcast. It might not be the last one. It's one of the last couple, at least. It might be the last one. But fret not. It's not that I'm not going to be podcasting. I'm just going to rebrand it, I think, to the Chrysalis podcast. And the reason I'm doing that is the Real Man Wood thing is a joke, right? It's a joke. It's a, You guys are in on the joke. You know, Real Man uh, would do whatever crazy thing a real man would do. And it was encouraging senseless risk of catastrophic loss. And it was a joke that Dalton and I, when we did the Real Man Wood for Rotowire, kind of made a lot. Real Man would do this. And it was actually uh, former Rotowire employee uh, Derek Van Riper's idea to change it from East Coast offense to Real Man Wood. I think it was a good call. I mean, it was more catchy and more, uh, more funny, I think, to do it that way. And it worked. But now that I'm talking about more serious shit, it's kind of, it doesn't really fit what I'm doing. So it's kind of the wrong brand for the podcast. So I'm not really big on branding and you know marketing. I'm not, I, I probably do a better job actually, but it just felt wrong. And I mentioned it to Heather and she's like, you know, I was just thinking that, that it's not really the right title for what you're actually doing now. So I think I'm going to keep the real man wood URL and I like real man sports. I think that still fits. I think that uh, sports real man kind of goes together. I mean, it's more, you know, more fun with it and I'll have fun with this podcast. I don't want it to be like dry and boring. There's still funny shit. I thought Ted Bell said some funny stuff last week in the podcast. And, you know, there's always got to be some humor in it. Serious as things are serious as a heart attack. When you're talking about the vaccine, it's serious as a heart attack. So we're going to make some jokes. They're going to be too soon, but real man. What is a bit, <laughs> you don't have the whole title of the podcast itself to be a joke. I was thinking of, you know, real man sports is good for sports. Real man would, I'm going to keep the Twitter account and make jokes, make it more of a comedy thing. Shit that I find funny. Keep the, keep the Twitter account going. And I'm not sure what I'll do with the actual real man URL itself, but it's not important. I'm going to move the podcast at some point in the next couple of weeks to chrysalis.com. It'll be the chrysalis podcast. That's not the greatest title for it. It'd be nice if it had like a cool title, but it really is just that, right? It's just me talking about shit. There's not like one theme to it. It's not a Bitcoin podcast. It's not a political podcast, thank God. It's not a philosophy podcast. I mean, that's maybe the closest thing it is, but it's not that. So I just think the Chrysalis podcast is what's going to be. I'm going to figure out how to do all the behind the scenes work. I'm going to make sure everybody still gets it in their feed, if that's possible make the archive, make sure the archive transfers over. I got to figure out a new logo. I love the logo. I think I'll just repurpose the logo for Real Man Sports and just change wood to sports and keep the same picture because I like it. I'm not really like sad about it or anything. It had its run. Um, it was a good. It was good for what it was, but it's just no longer the appropriate uh, title to this podcast. So that's one bit of housekeeping. I'll just get right into the... Uh, into the Substack piece about Bitcoin that I wrote. So basically there's, a, there's sort of a dilemma in Bitcoin on one side, like you want it to scale and you want everybody to use it on the other side. Most people don't want to put in the 
work to use it properly. And I'm sure some of you that listen to the podcast fall into this group where you bought some, you left it on an exchange because dealing with like private keys. And if you lose your private key, your Bitcoin's gone. That's a little bit too stressful. So just keep it on some exchange like Coinbase or whatever. That's one of the worst ones, I think. As far as I know, I canceled my Coinbase account. Rather than buy a cold storage wallet, like a cold card and keep it yourself and write down the words and all that stuff you need to do to keep it safe because your device obviously could break. So you need to have it somewhere. But then at the same time that you write down the words, you need to protect them both from, you know, if it's on a piece of paper, if water gets on it or fire or whatever, or you lose it, someone throws it out. But also if someone steals it, so you can't just keep like 20 pieces of paper with your seed everywhere, or you can't just put it, you know, in a text file on your laptop because someone could hack and someone could hack your laptop and take all your money. So this is, this is the dilemma, right? On the one hand, you want it to scale, but in order for it to scale, people want to use it in a way they're familiar with. People have Ameritrade accounts or E-Trade accounts. They have online bank accounts and they're used to logging in and doing their financial services business via a third party. So that, you know, let's say they forget your password. No big deal. It's called a bank or it's a huge pain in the ass for me when I keep trying to guess my passwords and they lock my account. I got to fucking wait on hold. I hate it. It's, it is a big deal, but compared to losing all your money forever, it's not a big deal. They'll fix it. You reset your password and you're fine. And you know, if somebody steals your credit card, you just find the fraudulent charge, you report it, get a new card, no big deal. So you know, people like that aspect of the legacy banking system. And I like it too. It's a lot scarier that if someone takes your seed and has the money, it's gone forever. If you lose your private key, it's gone forever. You'll never get it back. No one will ever have it. That money will just have disappeared into ether, making even uh, making Bitcoin even more scarce, which is actually happening all the time, little by little, um, as people lose their private keys. And, you know, we're talking about like 10 to the 77th different possible uh, private keys no one's finding that, at least until our, our technology gets way, way, way more advanced. Those things are lost for good. So you understand why people aren't, why you're not getting like billions of people onboarded. People will get onboarded through Lightning Network and spending 10 or 20 bucks here and having 20 bucks worth in a browser. That will happen. But in terms of storing serious wealth in it, uh, I think that most people just aren't up for it unless it's on an exchange. But the problem with the exchange is, well, several problems with an exchange. One is... Obviously, if Coinbase has all your coins and you're posting disinformation on Twitter, the government can lean on Brian Armstrong of Coinbase, the CEO, and say, look, so-and-so is posting disinformation and he's a danger and he's a criminal and we need to seize his coins. And it's just like your bank account. It is subject to seizure. It is not censorship resistant in that case because these centralized Exchanges can be censored and you don't really own the Bitcoin because you don't have the key. You have an IOU to Bitcoin, right? They have your key. They have the key to the Bitcoin that you purportedly own and they owe you that Bitcoin. And were they to abscond with it, you could sue them for your claim, uh, but then you'd have to prove that in court. And so again, it's an IOU that you can sue on. It's not the actual control of the coins themselves. So this doesn't really solve the problem that Bitcoin solves, right? It doesn't eliminate the middleman. You're still reliant on a counterparty for risk of censorship or risk of stealing your coins. We saw what happened with FTX. That's the other risk. 
So yeah, you can grow it, but if you grow it via exchange, is it really even growing sort of this freedom money that is supposed to change everything? It's not really going to do that because if most of the money's on these exchanges, um, there still is no freedom. There still is control over what you say and what you do. So that's, that's one big thing. The other one is, you know, what FTX did was they issued a lot more Bitcoin to their, they sold a lot of Bitcoin, more Bitcoin to their account holders than they actually had. So they might have hundred Bitcoin or a thousand Bitcoin and their account holders have 10,000. And just like Bertie Madoff, if somebody goes early to get the Bitcoin out, they can give them the Bitcoin. But if everybody wants it, it's not there. It's fractional reserve Bitcoin. And that's not only, you know, obviously fraud, but it also keeps the price of Bitcoin down because the, the, you know, demand is what drives price. If you have a fixed supply, which is the case, or a fixed issuance of supply that's diminishing, the issuance is diminishing over time, and then more demand comes online, more people want this, the price is going to go up. It's just supply and demand economics, it's like physics almost. But if you can keep issuing fake supply that you don't actually own in the centralized exchange, you're issuing 10x of your actual supply or 100x, then you can feed extra supply fractionally reserved into the system that doesn't exist. And so you're now satisfying demand without actually taking away supply from the 21 million Bitcoins that will ever exist. You're, you're creating paper Bitcoin, so to speak, and you're inflating the supply. So this, this also is contrary to the whole point of the technology, which is to have the whole system be auditable, to have it only inflate on a very slow and rigid schedule that declines over time. And so you sort of have this deflationary currency that makes it worth saving in that currency. So here's the dilemma. Again, people can adopt it en masse, but most of them are not going to want to deal with holding private keys. And so they're going to do it on exchanges and exchanges don't really, having your Bitcoin on exchange, it's good. If the exchange is good for it, if you have like River or Swan or one of the more reputable ones, but even then, you know, you're not really owning the instrument itself in the way that it was designed. And so how does Bitcoin scale without losing its soul? I think that's kind of the question that people have. And I came up with an idea. I don't know that it would work, but it's an idea that occurred to me is that, you know, before, I don't know how many of you are familiar, but your private key in Bitcoin is basically, you know, just ones and zeros, right? It's just, just bits, ones and zeros. But people aren't going to remember a specific combination of 256 zeros and ones. So it was then I think put into hexadecimal form. Hexadecimal is like, you know, all the numbers and then letters. And so there's like 16 of them. And then there's a string of number, letter, number, letter, number, number, letter, whatever it is, 64 long. And so that was your private key. But then, uh, and correct me if I'm wrong, because I'm not a tech guy and I don't know exactly how the history happened. There's these Bitcoin improvement protocols that come around and people improve the protocol a bit with new they add new things to it. And one of them was to convert this 64 character hexadecimal into 24 seed words. So instead of having to remember, write down this letters and numbers string, you just have to remember these words chosen from a list. So now your private key is a bunch of words that you can just write down. And for most people, that's a lot easier than hexadecimals and certainly a lot easier than zeros and ones. And so... 256 zeros and ones, remembering that or writing that down. So, okay, this is an improvement, but still, you know, that the average person, they're going to want to keep this list of words safe to be exactly in the right order 
you can't make any errors. It's, you know, it's a bit stressful. So I had this idea that imagine the scenario, say your brother or sister, if you have a sibling, someone, you know, well, best friend traveling overseas and you get a text from a foreign cell phone and it's like, Hey man, sorry to bug you, but my wallet and phone were stolen. I'm borrowing a stranger's phone, but I need you to send me a thousand bucks. Get me out of this jam and uh, don't worry, I'll pay you back when I get back to the States. And if I got that text saying it was my brother, you know, and it was on a random number, I'd say, okay, uh, no problem. But, uh, you know, who was your favorite football team growing up and who was your favorite player, you know, favorite athlete on that team? And it was my brother and it was really him. He would say the Dolphins and Dan Marino. And now that I've said this on the podcast and wrote it in the article, I can't actually use that if he's overseas. I'll, there's other things I could ask my brother that, that a scammer would not know about him. So you would ask a couple of questions like that. And then if you got him right, you'd be like, okay, it's my brother. If he didn't know, then you know it was a total scam. Send him the money. No problem. And the question is like, how did you know? How, how did you really, what happened there? How did you ascertain that it was him? Well, you ascertained it was him through private knowledge that you didn't purposely even have to remember. You just obviously remember and know that he remembers and you were good. And I think instead of these random seeds, might there be a way to get people to create a seed of things they already know they're not publicly searchable. Like you wouldn't want your address to be one of your seed words because your address is a public record or you wouldn't want stuff that you post on social media about, you know, to be one of your seed words. But I'm sure there's, you know, 24 words of things in your life that nobody really knows about except you or maybe your spouse knows about or your sibling knows about a couple of them, but they wouldn't know what order or whatever. Nobody knows enough to remotely guess you know, it might be stuff on your bookshelf. It might be the books you haven't read on your bookshelf. It might be the books you have read. It might be some words on certain chapters or pages. But my idea was to hide the, the seed in plain sight. You know, let's say it was, you know, I don't know. This was not, this would not be a good choice, but catcher in the rye, the 10th word in each of the first 24 chapters, that would be your seed. Um, and so you'd always have a record. It can never be lost. And only you would know the very simple to remember code to find it. And you'd have things like that. I wouldn't use Catcher in the Rye because it's such an iconic book. I'd use a more obscure book, but and one that you haven't tweeted about. But like, and it could be the 14th word or it could alter 14.7, 14.7. But the point is that you would have something that would be fairly easy to remember. You could, you could have the book on your shelf to look it up. I wouldn't, now that they're like messing with books and trying to like wokeify books, it'd be dangerous to do that. Um, you know, just using online versions. So I would recommend buying the books, but it could be books. It could be something from your childhood. I think sports teams and sports stars would be a little dangerous. Imagine a powerful AI trying to guess, you know, a million guesses a second, a trillion guesses a second, what your password might be. And they know what area of the country you grew up in and who the famous athletes were at that time. It'd be a bit dangerous. So it'd have to be something obscure, but I think it could be done. And I think, I don't know, maybe that wouldn't make an easier, but in a way, just sort of having your private key in plain sight, hidden in plain sight, so to speak, but not something that you had to really make that much effort to remember, go a long way. You don't have to write it down on a piece of paper or stamp it out in a metal plate or something. You could just simply know it. It would be obvious and you could look it up easily publicly. Just nobody would know what to look up to steal it from you. So that was kind of the idea that the AI won't be able to find it because the reason you remember what you remember isn't just because you're a database, you're a spreadsheet in your mind. You know, your, your memories 
are encoded with emotion. My brother likes Dan Marino because he was a Dolphins fan and Dan Marino was great. And he liked rooting for Dan Marino and it gave him an emotional feeling. So that memory is cemented in his mind of who his favorite player growing up was. It's not just, you know, data. It's, he didn't, you know, see which quarterback had the most expected wins or whatever, you know, the QBR or whatever the hell it is. I mean, he, you know, if you love Dan Marino, then that memory is going to be noted in your brain in a different way. And, and the AI can never really, it could obviously realize that humans love certain great athletes or, but it does, you know, the, the human mind is more complex. It's not just data in there. It's data encoded with emotion. And you might remember certain things that are important to you in a way that um, wouldn't be just, you know, some giant database that you could forget. So that was the idea to have sort of a, a seed creation kit that would make it much easier for people to arrange private keys that they wouldn't forget. And they wouldn't feel like it was this like task of thinking like a machine and writing down the stuff on paper and keeping it safe from other people. So I wrote about that. And, you know, I'm not the guy who's going to design this machine, the seed creation machine. And also the machine would have to reject things like, okay, LeBron James is one of your words. Like that would be a very bad idea. You know, so, you know, you don't want Michael Jordan or LeBron, you know, it would, it would be like making your password password or one, two, three, four, five. So it would know to reject certain things. But if it's, you know, some book that you liked as a kid, maybe the brothers Karamazov, Dostoevsky, you know, some passages, he's talking about the Grand Inquisitor, something that I liked. Maybe I've already tweeted about that, so I couldn't use it. But, you know, something like that and certain words that were indexed by chapter, something that would be relatively easy to look up. Things like that scattered across 24 different ones. It might have to be even more complex than I'm saying, but the kit would sort of have a, a good sense of what was truly hard to guess and what wasn't. And so you could create these seeds. Maybe that would help, maybe it wouldn't. But the idea is to make, make it so that it's hidden in plain sight. So it's in their house, but nobody knows what the hell it is coming in. And no one knows whether you even have any. It's just like, you, you know what this thing is. Everybody has unique knowledge. Everybody has things that they know and combinations of facts that they know that, are, um, not, that no one else in the world is privy to. So that was the idea. A couple other things. The uh, John Durham report just dropped. And if you want to get good details on it, check out Glenn Greenwald's report on it on his site, System Update. But apparently, not only, you know, like the Mueller report showed like they didn't have enough to prosecute Trump. There was no case there. And a lot of people, I know this because my mom would argue that she'd say, oh, well, you know, but Bill Barr just chose not, they had enough, but Bill Barr chose not to do anything. Or well, even if they didn't have enough, he was probably guilty. They just couldn't find all the evidence or, you know, there were powerful people blocking them from prosecuting or whatever the excuse was. But the conclusion of the Mueller report was there's no case. And of course, in the U.S., it's not just like, well, he was guilty, but we just couldn't get the evidence. It doesn't work like that. If, if you don't have enough evidence to indict, you're not guilty. I mean, you're not even not guilty. That, you're not guilty at trial. It didn't even get to where they could try him because there was no evidence. But OK, but people are still arguing that even though seemed to me, and if you listen to Ted Bell's podcast in 2018, it seemed to me like pretty clear that they didn't have much. But the Durham report went quite a bit farther than this. The Durham report basically said not only did they not find anything sufficient to prosecute, but the whole basis for which they even started the investigation was nothing. 
They had nothing from the beginning and worse, they knew it. The FBI knew it. The Hillary Clinton knew it. Obama was briefed on it. They all knew that there was nothing to this. And yet they launched this investigation, acted like the walls are closing in, ran it on media, cable news, New York Times, gave themselves Pulitzers 24-7, made this giant psyop to harm the campaign and then undermine a duly elected president. And they knew that it was bullshit. It wasn't just that it was bullshit or that there wasn't you know, sufficient evidence. It was on the thinnest of nothing. There's a text between um, some US agents and I think UK agents. And they're like, that is pretty thin. That's all you got. He's like, yeah, it sucks. There's nothing. They had nothing. And everybody knew. And I made the analogy, you know, it's kind of like the, the Mueller report was like when they said, when they finally admitted, yeah, actually it could have been a lab leak. The zoonotic origins are not proven, right? At first they were like, it's a conspiracy theory. It can't be a lab leak. It's obviously it came from bats through the market and whatever. And of course, like they never had a, a good account of that that made any sense. And so they finally decided, well, it, it could, a lab leak's plausible, meaning they didn't have evidence to conclude for certain, even though they claimed to be certain just like they claimed that Trump was colluding with Russia for certain. Adam Schiff said he had evidence. They claimed that it was definitely uh, of zoonotic origin and it was just a fact and to, to allege otherwise was to engage in conspiracy theories. Then they admitted, well, actually that conclusion wasn't warranted. We, we don't know. We, it, it, could, it could have, it's plausible that there was a lab leak. That's what the Mueller report was like. The Durham report, is as though not only was it a lab leak, it was a lab release on purpose and everybody was complicit. It would be as though they ordered the release of COVID and they knew and they did it on purpose and everybody, all the key principles were in on it. Trump, Biden, Fauci. That's what it would be like. That's how damning the Durham report is. They all knew it was fake and they launched it anyway to undermine a duly elected president. And to me, this is kind of, you know, what I would consider a coup, you know, it was a, it was an attempted coup. It didn't actually work because Trump did get elected, but it definitely uh, hampered his presidency and broke some brains and really damaged, you know, the sort of the state of the democracy and disinformed and misinformed so many people, you know, from the government who trusted them. And this is a really serious offense. And on Twitter, this guy, Eric Erickson, I don't know if he's like conservative or what he is, but I came into my feed and he was basically saying he's trying to like do this, like both sides shit where he said people that storming the Capitol on January 6th equals bad. And then he said, people using the FBI to undermine a presidential campaign and then a presidency equals bad. If you complain about January 6th, you should also be raising hell about what Mr. Durham has uncovered or you aren't intellectually honest. And it's that kind of thing where he's like, you see if you, and, and it's not that what he's saying is wrong, but what he's saying isn't really, isn't really sufficient. It's sort of almost like what they say is a limited hangout, not what he's saying, you know, where they say, well, they let you know some of the bad stuff that's happening so that you get satisfied and move on and don't look at the really, really bad stuff. And I feel like that's kind of what he's doing. He's saying like, look, it, what they did on January 6th was bad and this is bad and you should be mad about both. But let's think about this logically for a second. The Trumpers with clogged arteries who stomped around the cap Capitol on January 6th had no chance of affecting anything. The only effect they achieved was getting themselves very harshly prosecuted for trust. You know, they should have been misdemeanor trespassing charges, but they got extremely harshly prosecuted and that's all they achieved. There was no chance they were going to overturn an election or the U.S. government 
or any of that shit. They had no effect. In fact, they helped get Trump off of Twitter. They helped launch all sorts of new homeland security, disinformation, domestic terrorism initiatives. They, they, they had no chance of achieving anything uh, toward their ends and in fact achieved the opposite, which makes you wonder you know, about the, uh, the embedded FBI people that were urging them to go into the Capitol. But either way, they were at the Capitol. They did go in there and they did stomp around inside, which was trespassing. But you cannot compare that, which had no effect on anything except to their own detriment, to the entire corporate media, a sitting president, a presidential candidate, the CIA, the DOJ, the FBI, all colluding to undermine a campaign with a fake conspiracy, with a conspiracy theory that, that Trump was colluding with Russia. I mean, that is so much worse than what happened on January 6th, which is nothing. And all these January 6th people, I mean, come on, now that we know, now that we know for certain that Russiagate was a total fraud, now that we know for certain that the Hunter Biden laptop was real, now that we know for certain that the vaccine does not stop the spread of COVID. And in fact, now there's a lot of evidence saying that the vaccinated are getting COVID in much higher numbers. Now that we know all of these things are bullshit, can we please, and I know people listen to this podcast already know, can we please just dispense with the fucking bullshit among bullshit that January 6th was a significant event in any way, except in the way that it was portrayed and used uh, against the American people to have even more draconian laws to charge people with all sorts of serious crimes, not commensurate with what they did. Let's just, I mean, you know, when that first happened and I talked about this podcast, when, when I heard the hysterics around it, I actually thought like, wait, did somebody drive a tank into the Capitol and shoot it up? Did somebody hijack some army trucks? Were there, was there a rogue military unit that, you know, went all in on the Capitol? That would have been commensurate with the hysterics around it with AOC crying and all this bullshit. It's the destruction of our democracy. I mean, that's just such bullshit. They were back in session, what, later that day or the next day? There was no significant damage to the Capitol. I mean, it, it was the most, it, it was honestly the stupidest of all the stupid psyops. And I knew it at the time. It was obvious. And I talked about it on the podcast. And that is the only podcast to this day for, I don't know what reason, that I got emails saying, you know, I agree with a lot of what you say, but I think you're totally off base on this. The only one, and I don't know why. I don't know why that one stuck. It's worse than 9-11. I mean, that, it, let's just please just take that. And I, I would ask people who are like, so, oh, I'm so traumatized by 1-6. I'm like, how many people were killed by the protesters, insurrectionists, if you want to call them that, on 1-6? How many people did they kill? And the answer is zero. I asked somebody who watches a lot of MSNBC, and she said 12. I said, you, you might want to look that up. You might want to <laughs> double check. And then she discovered it was actually zero. And you know what nobody talks about? But this is just a fact, and you can look this up. Four separate security guards at the Capitol that day in the next few months after that committed suicide separately. Each individually committed suicide. I mean, I don't, you know, call me a conspiracy theorist. Most of these conspiracies ended up, these conspiracy theories ended up being proven true. But what are the odds that four separate people would just commit suicide in six months um, that... You know, they, they weren't like, they had jobs. They weren't like shut-ins. People say, oh, well, the trauma of, of 1-6 must have been too much for them. But what? I mean, they never were injured. There was no, I mean, there were, if you look at the, the footage that Tucker Carlson released, they were like walking them through the, walking the shaman through the different chambers. It was very congenial even. Um, there was, you know, a bit of a, a ruckus when the crowds were in there, but 
no violence was done toward the guards. I can't imagine being so traumatic that four of them would kill themselves. Just four separate guards would kill themselves. And everyone's like, oh, that's crazy. I mean, I don't know how, why they killed themselves. And I don't, and I actually don't think they actually all killed themselves. I think they probably knew or saw something or exchanging messages in a way that was threatening the, the narrative is my guess, but maybe that's false. I don't have specific evidence. I don't know exactly what happened. And it is possible that if you, if you think the odds of a random suicide, someone that age in that job, and then you, you know, take it to the fourth power. I, I just, I'm not buying coincidence for that. So think what you want uh, about that, but that is very, very weird. But anyway, it's not really point of this point is just that um, now that sort of the, the gloves are off, so to speak, that we can actually speak the truth. Let's not fucking cater to people's delusions anymore. Right. I mean, I know, you, you know, your, your normie friend just can't handle a conversation where, you know, someone suggests that maybe one six was a psyop and their FBI undercover agents in there urging them to get into the building and not really that much happened. And the only person killed that day was an actual protester who got murdered by a security guard and they don't really want to get into that conversation and it's stressful for them. And, and, you know, their worldview is starting to crumble a little bit. The truth is coming out and, and it's just don't pander to people anymore. If this, if a person can't handle it, fine, don't force a discussion on somebody that's not going to be productive. Don't get into a fight for no reason. Let them believe what they want to believe. That's fine. They're entitled to their beliefs, whether they're true or false. And maybe I'm wrong about shit and I'm living in a delusion myself. But as far as I can see it, I'm, I just don't pander to people, you know, people who make assumptions about, well, of course the vaccine saves so many lives and blah, 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 blah. You know, you, you can, you can just say nothing, but don't say something in response that makes them feel like, of course you agree because you don't want to be the weirdo who doesn't agree with that. I just think like it's a long past time to be pandering to people. Now the truth's coming out and the people who are just, you know, holding on to dear life, that's, you know, that's their problem. Don't, don't, don't be an enabler, basically. What else? So I, I watched bits of the Elon Musk interview on CNBC. And I have to say, the guy seemed super based. I mean, he just was just like, the guy was like, well, how can you say stuff? It could cost you money and Tesla on Twitter. And he's sort of like, I'm just going to say what I want to say. And if it costs me money, so be it. And he just seemed incredibly based. And it was a impressive interview where the guy was calling him a conspiracy theorist about stuff. And he pointed out things like the Biden laptop, which turned out to be totally true. And the interviewer, like they don't say, Oh, maybe I'll rethink my beliefs because I just, I asked for an example of a conspiracy theory that turned out to be true. You gave me one. And yet I'm going straight ahead, like still believing everything I believe. Like I'm a total fucking idiot. Like nothing, no evidence would sway me. Like something that turned out to be totally false, you know? So that, that's odd, but seemed incredibly based and that was heartening. But on the other hand, he hired that woman. I don't even remember her name, Linda something. And uh, she's like a WEF fellow and she worked in some sort of ad sales position for NBC. And, you know, it just seems like an apparatchik of the regime. Like just the resume is pure regime apparatchik. And maybe there's some, you know, 4D chess where she'll help normalize free speech and sell it to them. But I don't, I don't think that's, salvageable you know i don't think that the waf wants free speech and you know if, to pass an agenda free speech is really deadly if your agenda is not um, in the interest of the people speaking so i don't really see how that 
goes with anything that we've heard from Elon Musk and based though he seems to be, it's kind of like Trump hiring John Bolton, right? I mean, Trump was sort of America first, anti-intervention, if it's not in our interests, which I think were good things. I mean, Trump fucking also appointed Fauci as the uh, leader of the COVID response and fast-tracked the vaccines and promoted those and took credit for those and also didn't pardon Assange or Edward Snowden. So, you know, Trump did a lot of bad things too, but he, you know, was, was good on the, on the foreign policy front, the anti-war front, wasn't starting useless wars. But he hired John Bolton, who's like one of the biggest hawks there is. And that was just weird. Mike Pompeo, these people, he hired like some of the worst people, Fauci, you know, for the COVID response. And Elon Musk is a lot smarter than Trump. So I, I don't know why he would hire this woman. I don't know what the angle is. He obviously knows that she's WEF. He obviously knows what a lot of his supporters think of the WEF. And so it's just a very strange hire. So there's this sort of, he was really based in that interview. He's tweeted a lot of stuff, looking into the vaccines and looking into a lot of the woke. It's, it's more than just absurdities of the harms that it's causing society from the uh, operations on minors to uh, canceling people and causing you know censorship and, and people uh, afraid to speak out. So I, I just don't know what to make of that. I, I wrote that piece, that allegorical piece about Musk being the Antichrist. And I could see it still because he's just, he's just likable and he's smart and he's going to earn the trust of some people. And, you know, good Antichrist would do all those things. He wouldn't be Klaus Schwab. He wouldn't be Bill Gates. He would be someone much more clever, but, or maybe he's just based. Maybe Elon Musk is the real deal. I don't know, but it's just such a hard thing to read. And I feel like, and maybe it's just, you know, again, like I got a following on Twitter through fantasy football and now I'm mostly almost exclusively tweeting about other things that normies really, really don't want to hear. And so maybe I, you know, I have a lot of mutes and blocks and, you know, and fewer people reading my tweets than, than they once did. But I, I really feel like I've been throttled in certain words. I, I made a tweet last week or two weeks ago that had the word COVID side, the phrase COVID side up in it. And it had like 84 views, which is just very strange because you know, I have 16,000 something followers and my average, you know, my averages are probably like 2000 views. And, you know, the, it ranges from like 800 to 10,000 or 800 to 6,000 or something like that average, like 84 views is just so many standard deviations off. It's just not like really possible. And it wasn't like a, a you know, sometimes if you have like a response, you reply to your own tweets, it gets buried and you'll get like 150 or something. But the initial tweet, you know, the top one that doesn't have a Substack, like even the ones with the Substack link at 800, but you know, it doesn't have a Substack link. It's just a tweet. Those always, almost always get more than a thousand views and, and never less than like seven, 800. And that thing had like 84, 85 views after three days. And I was like, why, how is that possible? Is it, what's the phrase? Was it COVID psyop? You know, is it that the legacy Twitter that he bought still has like in its code, some some way of throttling specific subjects and tweets and he doesn't know about it? Is it that he does know about it and it's sort of a silent agreement with the WEF people, the same people, same reason he hired this woman to run Twitter? Um, I don't know, but it's just, it's a bad feeling to be like subject to this black box algorithm that I guess it's open source, but we don't really know. I think it would really help if, if they showed you why your tweet got 
so few views? Like, why was this not sent out to everybody? What, you know, why has your reach been curtailed generally? What are, what is your social credit score on this platform? It would be nice to see that. I think that would be real transparency, not just, oh, if you get this, because I don't know how many people are muting me and blocking me. Now, you shouldn't be able to see who specifically is muting you because that would, that would, just, that would really defeat the point of muting. You would just unfollow people. I mean, there's a lot of this professional courtesy thing where you follow somebody professionally who follows you and you mute them because you don't, you're not interested in their point of view, but you want to unfollow them because that would let them know. So they're not going to do that. You don't have to know who it is, but just how many you have, I think would be really instructive for transparency. But it just, it makes me feel a little bit like this, even if Elon Musk is the based Elon Musk that he sometimes seems to be, that it's not, you don't want this. You know, this is ultimately a, a stopgap. He's a stopgap for something better. And uh, so on Noster, I'm up to 11 followers. I say 11 followers, but I'm really got nine because two of them are me. There's one of me and there's another account I must have signed up for and followed my other accounts. And I really have nine followers. So I said 10, it says 11, but it's really nine. And, and when I get to 50 followers on Noster, I'm going to start, that'll be my primary thing. And I'll still tweet now and then and I'll still post on my old own site. I have other stuff, you know, uncensored tweets. I, I still post one a day and it's usually different than what I'm posting on the other places. I'm just trying to, diversify a bit and I don't have any of the Facebook shitty properties. You know, I'm just using my site, Noster and Twitter. And a couple tweets in eight hours ago, I put my public key for Noster. And I know a lot of you, a couple of you said, oh, it's a pain in the ass. I don't want to have a private key and whatever, but it's not like Bitcoin where you know, you've got a whole bunch of money uh, secured by your private key. It's just like a Noster account. So if you lost it, it wouldn't be as big a deal. You should keep it safe and write it down, but it's not like so dangerous. So what are they going to do? Get on your Noster account. Oh, I mean, it, it could be eventually important. You know, if you got a following or were posting a lot of work there, it was a distribution, important distribution network for you. But as of now, uh, it's not worth much. So I posted my public key on Twitter and it's also in the uh, Noster column that I wrote on the Substack. I would love it if you guys followed me on Noster. I had a bit of a... Well, it's not real man wood, Chrysalis podcast community there. Just put content up there because I, I, I also think like, you know, it would have been great to be big on Twitter in 2008 or 2009, whenever it started and really post a lot of content there and get a big following. It would have been great to start podcasting in 2005 where my friend Adam, he said, he was like, you, you got to start podcasting, man. That's the, that's the next big thing. It's like 2005. And I, we'd just been sort of fired by uh, XM before Sirius bought them and then rehired us. XM didn't see any future in fantasy sports. They didn't want us. So uh, we were sort of in the wilderness after doing a show for a couple of years. And my friend's like, you should get into podcasting. And I remember buying like an $80 mic and not really being able to work the software and kind of giving up. And that was really dumb. You know, if you get it in 2005, fantasy football would have been enormous. It would have been, <laughs> you would have been the only fantasy football podcast. You would get like a million listeners in a few years. And uh, so that was a huge blown opportunity, but Noster is not quite like that. It's just a, it's a, uh, obviously it's, it's very much like Twitter in, in the way it's set up, but I think it's going to improve a lot more quickly because there's no real bureaucracy there. It's just individual developers constantly improving it. And um, you can send sats, Bitcoin over it via zaps. It's really cool. Instead of likes, people send you zaps. Some guy sent me 50 sats the other day. I, I looked up 50 sats is like 1.3 cents. But I made a comment he liked, so he sent me 50 sats. And I thought that was awesome. Likes are cheap, right? I can like anything. It doesn't cost me anything. But uh, a zap, it costs you something. It costs you 1.3 cents. But 
you know, you start posting and people appreciate your work and you start getting these apps. It's not like you need a subscription and someone has to give a credit card and all this bullshit like they're setting, setting up on Twitter, or even Substack, right? That's a pain in the ass. This is just like, I like this zap. All you do is hook up a lightning account. You know, you go through the Noster documentation. It's easy to find online and, and figure it out. It's, it's easier than Bitcoin. It's not that hard. You know, at some point you learned how to use email. At some point you learned how to use a browser. I think this is, you know, worthwhile. And there's a lot of signal on Noster. You know, there's, there's not as much noise as there is on Twitter and quality people on it. And I just think this, it's not like, oh, go to Mastodon or go to Getter or go to, what's the one that Apple kind of screwed over the, uh, the, the Republican one. I can't even remember the name of it. That's how, uh, that's how much they screwed it over by delisting it from the apps or parlor. That's what it was parlor. It's not like that. That's, those are just other people. Those are just other, you know, privately owned networks that the government could lean on, that the ownership can have a political slant on. This is a protocol. This is like Bitcoin. It's like email. Nobody owns your email. Google can kick you out of Gmail, but they can't stop you from sending email generally. And same thing with this. This is a protocol. Um, there's no boss of it. I'm trying to sell it because I want people to be on it because I think that this is really the solution. The solution isn't, let's just let the good people be in charge. The good people like Elon Musk. Now a good president or a good owner of a company can do some good, mostly by getting out of the way, mostly by taking the heat from the government, from the WEF shills, from the, you know, the woke scolds, taking the heat himself and then letting the thing be as it is. I mean, these, these social credit scores is not that. And I, I think Elon Musk has already made a big mistake of letting those things serve as uh, filters, but I get it. It's not easy to get rid of spam and bots and and appease the the people who cry with hate speech. I get I get shit all the time. You know, I mean, if you look at this video compilation I put in my Twitter of all these celebrities and politicians and powerful people, media people spewing real hatred toward people who chose not to take Pfizer's last latest injection. And just throwing hatred and, and trying to foment hatred against them, against us, against me. Um, I feel like I, that's that's hate speech. I mean, that's coming from powerful people. It's not some crank. I mean, I have this idiot crank who's been constantly, uh, you know, trying to like say shit about me, make up lies about me. But who gives a shit? The guy's such a loser, and he has no power, and nobody takes him seriously. That's fine. That's he's spewing hate and lies at me, but I swat that dude off like a fucking fly. Like that's nothing. But when the president of the United States and powerful people in corporate media, politicians, celebrities are the unvaccinated are causing this, the people who don't get vaccinated don't deserve to be in society. They're saying things like this. Noam fucking Chomsky, you know, hero of the left, somebody that's revered for being a moral and discerning person is they should be in camps. That's fucking hate speech. And that's dangerous because, you know, if... If people get wind that you're, you know, you're the reason why everyone's dying and you're the reason why this pandemic can't end and their business got shut down. And, and you know, we, we had friends who, you know, were hateful to us too, you know, because they were blaming us because they fucking were absorbing those messages. It doesn't absolve them. You know, I mean, they were adults, but like, you know, that's fucking hate speech. And so to me, a lot of this like lone crank hate speech is not, to me, that, that's not a reason to curtail free speech or to have a social credit score on a social network. The, the real hate, the real disinformation and the real hate is coming from inside the house, right? It's coming from the government. I mean, that was hatred. It's a winter of death 
for the for the unvaccinated. And it wasn't like it's so sad for them. It was like, and they fucking deserve it. I mean, that was the message from Biden a couple of years ago. I mean, this, this is fucked up. It's hatred coming from the most powerful, arguably the most powerful person in the world. Now, probably a puppet, but you know, at least ostensibly the most powerful person in the world, just spewing hate uh, toward what apparently is a minority of citizens who just didn't want to inject chemicals into themselves from a pharmaceutical company that's been fined and busted for fraud criminally several times in the past. You know, I mean, that was all your crime was, was choosing the medicine that you wanted and you had the most powerful factions in the world spewing hate and trying to get your neighbor to hate you and who knows what, you know, if, if the, imagine if, you know, the thing were actually effective, like pretty soon everyone, you know, who had taken it got COVID and it was a little bit like harder for them to get pissed at you. But imagine, you know, you have to take this chemical whether you want it or not. You know, I'm a bit like, yeah, the hate speech from these fucking losers, you know, again, like that's not really, that, that doesn't really move the needle, but that kind of shit, you know, that that's actually really dangerous. So if that's okay, then I don't think that we should be curtailing free speech in the event that people will get hate from, you know, idiots, you know, from any side of the spectrum. I, no one deserves hateful shit for your medical choices, obviously for your religion, your race, your gender, any of that shit, you don't deserve hate and it's wrong. But, you know, if it's, if it's like low level loser cranks, you block them and tell them to fuck off. And, you know, and they also screenshot it. The internet's forever. And so um, I may or may not have screenshotted some shit that I saw from individuals and I haven't posted it yet. I mean, I, I've, I've mentioned this before. I've thought about going on a fucking scorched earth. Like, I mean, it goes all the way back from like, you know, 2017, like the, the whole Trump Russia gate shit and me just saying like, I don't know. I haven't seen any evidence. This is before I even listened to Ted Bell's podcast, but I was like, I certainly don't know for sure that this happened. I mean, it's possible. And people in my own industry, like publicly being like, what do you believe in conspiracy theories? And I'm like, I think you're confused, man. I think it's you who's believing in this conspiracy that he conspired with Russia. That's your, yours is the conspiracy theory. And I'm asking for evidence. And he just couldn't wrap his mind around that. The guy, he couldn't wrap his mind around the fact that, that no, no, I wasn't alleging conspiracy. I was asking for evidence for his conspiracy, which happened to be his conspiracy theory, which happened to be corporate media's conspiracy theory. And they gave themselves Pulitzers for advancing it. And then of course, it's totally fraudulent. Anyway, that's all that. I don't know, maybe just a couple of banal uh, life observations that I've been having. I feel like, you know, I don't know. I have my own frustrations and my own angst and I'm pissed off some of the time and whatever, you know, I'm, I'm the same person I've always been. But at the same time, I, I feel good. You know, I, I feel like it's not like I'm making any real money now, but like my Substack, I've written a lot of fucking posts. Like, you know, when you, when you take off from your job and you say, okay, I'm going to do my own thing. You can easily see someone writing three or four posts and just losing steam and being like, well, what do I do now? But that's really not been the case. I mean, I've been posting most weeks. I'm just building up like a serious body of work. And I'm, I'm proud of that just for doing it, just for getting it done and, and keeping it going. And then you know, the real man sports, I've been posting stuff there too. And that's going fine. You know, I feel like I have stuff to say by my terrible baseball teams, but it's, it's entertaining. And I still take it seriously and look at the box scores every day. And I wake up like, well, you know, what happened in baseball last night? And now I've got that basketball league with Sasha that I'm doing that I'm still checking that out. We're in like 68th place out of 250, but 
with the Sixers exiting the playoffs are 4% James Harden. And that was our real ace in the hole. If he went crazy and Embiid either got hurt or, you know, had a bad game, that would really move us up in the standings. But our best bet is Bam out of Bayou outscoring Jimmy Butler. That was the one error I made because Butler's been going bananas in the playoffs. But if out of Bayou could outdo Butler at 3X in the conference finals, that would be great. But it's unlikely, but it would be a, a path to uh, moving up a lot since most people don't have out of Bayou at 3X. That's kind of like, you know, some NFBC specific stuff, but NFBKC specific stuff. But I'm into all the stuff I'm doing and I'm churning it out. I'm doing these podcasts and I do some real man sports podcasts once in a while. And I'm, you know, I'm handling my business. I'm going to the track um, three times a week and I'm fasting every three months for four days, um, every day, every, once a week, every week, usually don't until noon. I've been eating healthy. I've been uh, just handling things, you know, everything that I need to do, every, you know, everything that I set for myself, sometimes I procrastinate, but I'm getting it done. And I don't know, I, I don't feel like, again, I don't, I'm the same person. I'm still pissed. I'm still anxious about shit sometimes. I'm still annoyed. I'm still sometimes triggered by shit that I get angry at. But, but I don't know, it just feels like, and knock on wood, I, I could get clocked by some bad news and anyone's subject to it, but it just feels like, it's just sort of every day, like handling the things that you need to handle. One thing I'm doing is I'm making tons of kombucha and it's coming out really well. I'm making sauerkraut. I just made some beef jerky. The Heather got pissed because it like stunk up the house. And because uh, we don't have like a dehydrator and I don't really have room to put it anywhere. We're not going to buy one. I was using the oven to dehydrate it. And it was like the stuff was in the oven for like 48 hours straight. Cause I kind of put in new, new batches in cause I didn't have enough shelves in the oven to, to fit all the, beef jerky came out pretty good. I, I think I could do it better next time, especially if I had a proper dehydrator, but I don't know. On, on a personal front, things are all right, except for those fucking houses in Portugal, which who knows if those will ever get done. But, you know, I'm just handling the shit I can control as best I can and then trying to give them a hard time and, and push that as I can too. My Portuguese is still kind of crap, but we'll see how that goes. Anyway, that's probably enough about me. I, I, I wrote in my... Uh, Bitcoin seed piece. It's a reason in some ways, Bitcoin, it's information money. And then it would be really cool just to access it via your own hidden in plain sight information that you happen to know. It's, it's another reason not to share too much private information. Ideas, yes. Private details, no. So probably enough private details. At least I just sent mostly general outlines, but probably enough private details for this week. Till next time.